And a very good afternoon to you. How are you doing this Monday? It's uh, the 9th of January 2023. I'm Richie Allen. How how are you? I've asked you already. It's piddling down here in Salford. It's dark, it's grim, it's miserable. But thank God we've got each other. We're back together, you and me, starting from today. The Richie Allen Show begins now. I've got two very interesting guests lined up for you today. You'll want to hear from them, I have no doubt. You can join in via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Talk to me now. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. I will be joined at this hour by the Islamic scholar and former solicitor Anjam Chowdhury. He's not happy with Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex. Why? Well, in his memoir, or memoirs, apparently the Duke of Sussex confesses, not confesses, professes to having killed 25 members of the Taliban. And Jam Chowdhury's not happy. We'll talk about that and more with him at this hour. A little bit later on in the programme, Paul Craig Roberts, the former US Assistant Treasury Secretary, will be on the programme to talk about, well, the top stories on paulcraigroberts.org. Looking forward to catching up with Paul in hour two. It's a busy one. Uh, welcome back. You're welcome back. I'm welcome back. It's good to be back. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show. Yes, I'm feeling a lot better than I was this time last week and even this time two weeks ago, but I won't bore you with that. Do talk to me, by the way, via the website. Please do that, richieallen.co.uk. What was I going to kick off with this afternoon? Can't remember. You've got notes, haven't you, Baldy? I have. I'm looking at them right now. Notes, bullet points. Um, It's all strikes negotiations or the lack thereof today, that is strikes in the NHS and nurses striking and junior doctors striking and more railway and and transport strikes to come and teachers and all the rest of that. That's making up the news today. It's the bulk of the mainstream media coverage today is strikes and also Harry's book. And it's pretty much every bloody day, it seems, Harry's book is in the news. Great gag today, which made me laugh. Not mine. I stole it from Twitter. But uh, a gag that's doing the rounds reads, Thus, Harry didn't kill 25 Taliban insurgents. How can you be an insurgent in your own country? I've never figured that one out. He didn't. They were captured and they chose a bullet to the head over Harry's incessant moaning about his family. I thought that was pretty chipper. I like that. Uh, His book is called Spare. It's out tomorrow. They probably should have called it Ginger Whinging. That's mine, by the way. That's mine. Ginger Whinging. Might have been a better name for it. 28 quid for the hardback. And apparently some smaller bookstores, some smaller purveyors of books... I'm fiddling with something now while I'm talking to you. Yes, some stores have decided, well, they've declined to stock it because of the price of it, thinking that we won't get anybody to buy it for 28 quid. I've emailed the publisher to request an interview just for shits and giggles. I'm not expecting an answer anytime soon. 
Speaking of that, let's be serious just for a minute then. This claim in his book that he was partly or wholly responsible for 25 kills during his time in Afghanistan. Here's a guy called Patrick Berry, a former Irish regiment soldier, and he was speaking today to Times Radio Patrick Berry. As he says, apparently in the book, uh, I've got the video, you know, I've got the video evidence from the battle damage assessments. Yes, but a lot of those are only estimates, as my understanding is, um, because you've got a lot of dust. Uh, things are happening, you know, uh, at, at at high speeds and high velocities. That's good, isn't it? You, you don't often consider that. Here's the former Irish Royal Regiment soldier saying, well, it's only estimates really, because when you fire a missile from a helicopter at a, a group of people, or at a tent, or at, I don't know, a house, you get a lot of dust, and then you fly away. I mean, you're not hanging around, counting bodies really, are you? So... There might not be an awful lot of truth now to young Harry's claims that he was involved. Excuse me, that he was involved in the the, the deaths of twenty five Taliban. More from the Irish guy. Um, and so, especially if you fire a hellfire or whatever like that, it, it's obscured. But yeah, you can you can you can make a, good, a decent enough estimate. That said, I mean, from a personal point of view, do you think it's wise what he did? talking about the numbers? Uh, personally, no. no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I think, for two reasons. One, it just comes across a little bit brazen, a bit on the nose. And personally, there is that risk to your own family. Um, but but each to their own and uh, and and you know hopefully there's no there's no um big blowback from it i've seen obviously a lot of people and certainly my military mates you know in and out uh, etc would be uh, quite critical you know yeah quite critical you're not it's not the done thing to talk about the people you killed in battle or otherwise now nicola sturgeon scotland's first minister is asking scots to wear face masks if they have a cold She's asking this because she's also said that Scotland's hospitals are just about full to the brim now. Hmm, I'm not sure this will happen. What do you think? When I was asked to opine on this last year, late last year, I, and you will remember, if you if you do listen to the programme, you will remember, I prophesied that they would give the restrictions a bit of a miss this winter. That was my prediction. And of course, I'm often wrong. But I did think they, they wouldn't go for it again this winter. They might recommend stuff, like they might say, you know now, if you're feeling a bit, you know, crook, as they say down under, for example, if you're a bit crook, why not wear the mask? It won't do any harm at all. But I didn't imagine, and I still don't imagine, that they will attempt to mandate. Now, it's early yet. It could happen, of course, as as I speak to you. I think he's still on his feet. Maybe he isn't, but the UK Health Secretary, Stephen Barclay, has been addressing the NHS winter crisis from his position in the House of Commons. And they're talking about blocking 2,500 beds for, for people to be cared for, or beds that had been designated as care beds now to be designated to deal with this emergency the flu issue they're, they're they're claiming the hospitals are are swamped overwhelmed with flu patients 
That's what they're saying, right? I think he said today that this time last year there were 50 people in hospital with the flu. It's now over 5,000. So that's like like 100 times more, right? My mathematics is blooming awful. But that's what they're saying. So it, there are, there is time. They might try and mandate the mask wearing on public transport and stuff, but I'm not sure they will. It was my belief late last year, 2022, that they would give people a break from it this year. But, of course, I'm wrong so often. It doesn't even bear mentioning, to be fair. I want to thank uh, Richard Braithwaite. Hi, Richard. He sent me an email today with an article from the Sheffield Star newspaper. Thank you, Richard. This is today's newspaper. Daniel McNeil writing in the Sheffield Star. And the headline is, wait for it, dear listener, calls for car-free Sundays, eh? And 64-mile-per-hour motorway speed limit as road emissions are moving in the wrong direction. Calls for car-free Sundays. Now, way back in March of 2020, it occurred to me in one of those very rare moments of clarity when something actually makes sense to me, and I've got something to say which might be a little bit you know, closer to profound than the things I normally say, which are closer to nonsense. But I did say, didn't I, back then, I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future they introduce something known as a climate lockdown. I'm pretty sure, I've got to say this again, because God knows if I don't blow my own trumpet, nobody's going to blow it for me. But I think climate lockdown, I'm pretty sure I was the first person to even mention such a term. And of course I won't be. You'll probably find somebody else said it before. Uh, before me, subconscious plagiarism maybe. But it did occur to me, and I did say at the time, I said, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if they, if they decided in the future that we would be given an allowance, a driving allowance. For example, my side of the street would be permitted to take the car out for the old Sunday drive on the second and fourth weekends of the month and on the other side of the street, the odd numbers or the even numbers in my case, they would be given permission to drive their cars on the first and third weekends of the month. Now, a group of MPs is talking about something very similar. This is in the Sheffield Star today. They're telling the government to consider slashing the speed limit on motorways to 64 miles per hour and introducing concepts such as car-free Sundays. Now, it doesn't say whether these MPs are recommending that driving be banned on Sunday, except in the case of an emergency. It doesn't say if they are asking for the, the recreational driving to be limited officially. It just says, basically car-free Sundays. This is the Parliament's Environment Audit Committee. They've included car-free Sundays. Uh, they want to encourage more people to work from home for three days a week, all to reduce their emissions and to stave off dreadfully awful biblical climate change, which, which isn't going to happen, as you and I know anyway. They've also talked about introducing incentives for walking and cycling. Really interesting piece in the Sheffield Star today, written by Daniel McNeil. Thanks again to Richard for sending that in. Yes. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You, you, you think of something like that. 
wouldn't it be ironic in the future if they came up with lockdowns for climate change? And, well, they're, they're in the middle of doing it. Also, thanks to Robert Stiles for your email, Robert, about the World Health Organization, which is meeting today until Friday. The International Health Regulations Review Committee is meeting, and it is not receiving any media coverage at all, at least none that I have been able to lay my hands on. They are meeting to finalise a 46-page document that includes proposed amendments to the international health regulations. Now, we talked about this last year when it did get a bit of a mention in the mainstream media. The World Health Organization, it is meant to come to pass that it will take control over every country in the world when it comes to dealing with pandemics and epidemics and what not. It is seeking the authority, the World Health Organization, to override national parliaments, to have this enshrined in global law, that when there is a health emergency in the future, the World Health Organization will dictate what must happen, and then it will happen. It will be in law. And no sitting government will be able to, will be in a position to say, well, no, we don't agree with that at all. So this is happening this week. It's very serious. I did know about it and I planned on talking about it. And I am going to get into it in some detail on tomorrow's programme, hopefully with guests. It's very serious. It basically wants to introduce things imminently, things like vaccine passports, test certificates, vaccine certificates, digitally and in paper format. Uh, the World Health Organization wants the authority to be able to require medical examinations, proof of vaccines, and the authority to implement contact tracing, quarantine and treatment wherever it determines it is necessary to happen. So, for example, Sri Lanka, it must happen there. The Sri Lankan government will have given over the authority to the World Health Organization. And what will happen in Sri Lanka or in Ireland or in England or in Wales is that the government there will just implement what it is told to do by the World Health Organization. This is tyranny by any other name. Of course it is. And we'll talk about it on the program tomorrow and probably more as the week progresses, right? They also want the power of the World Health Organization to redirect billions and billions of dollars Whenever it feels like it, presumably it will present bills to countries, presumably the, the WHO uh, will present a bill to the UK, present a bill to the United States, to China, and say we need $75 billion from you tomorrow. Why? Well, we've got to give it to the pharmaceutical companies, you see, because they're currently working up another M or NA jab for whichever pandemic or epidemic or health outbreak or disease outbreak, that they are talking about at any given time. So this is obviously very serious. And we'll get into it, as I said, in some depth. Speaking of pandemics and scamdemics, I know a number of you follow a doctor in the United States called Robert Malone. I know you follow him and others. He was a very early sceptic, Malone was, of lockdowns, and was an early sceptic when it came to the necessity 
for for mRNA jabs. So he's an interesting guy. He won't speak to this program. That's fine. I don't mind that at all. He was put off speaking to this program by another content creator who told him he shouldn't come on because he'd be given some bad press if he did. But that's okay. Robert Malone was speaking to GB News today and to Bev Turner. Now, Bev Turner asked him why did he and his vaccine skeptic sceptical colleagues, why did they see what the majority have failed to see? What differentiates the doctors who have spoken out against the jabs? What differentiates them from the majority who've gone along with it? Here's Robert Malone on GB News Today. Well, that's a great question. And, and a lot of people are wondering why this group was able to see through the propaganda and other groups weren't. And I, my interactions with the psychology and psychiatry community leads to the conclusion, no one can really figure it out. I was just with Ryan yesterday and many others in Orlando. And uh, I I think we're a diverse group come from various backgrounds. Uh, Many of us are just very committed to truth and integrity and have been our whole lives. And that seems to have been part of it, but there's more to it than that. These are people that have had the courage for whatever reason. And often to, to speak out, often they've gone through some prior event in their life that's caused them to question things. And then when this came about, that questioning and that willingness to question and and I think, frankly, a certain amount of disillusionment in uh, the narrative that we've all been subjected to for our whole lives often is a, a played a role in people being able to see through the propaganda that we were all subjected to, including, um, unfortunately, uh, your colleagues there in Great Britain. Mm, I'm not sure that uh, I would give so many of these doctors a pass, you know. I, I, so many of those who 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 allegedly didn't see through the propaganda, I wouldn't be inclined to give too many of them a pass now. I mean, they they knew that the M or an A jabs were brand new. They knew this. They knew they had not been trialed, so they they knew there was a possibility of um, it going terribly wrong. So they knew this. You know, that's not just swallowing the propaganda. That's willfully turning a blind eye to something that is potentially very dangerous. But anyway, that was Robert Malone. Now, it's being spoken about quite a lot, in at least in the last couple of weeks anyway, and even just before uh, Christmas, because they're talking about the winter crisis in the National Health Service here in the UK, and they're talking about money and not being able to fund the NHS. One of the things that keeps coming up is the notion that in the near future, people will be expected to pay for certain services provided by the National Health Service. As it stands, the NHS is free at the point of use, the free, free at the point of necessity. Whatever you need doing, it's free. It isn't free because people pay taxes, of course. They pay national insurance contributions. So it does piss me off when they say it's free. It isn't free. It pisses me off even more because I've paid thousands and thousands of pounds into it. And when I want to get a doctor, I've got to go private. So don't get me started on that nonsense. But um, they're talking about, and they're talking about it so often now, you can expect, I think, an announcement at some stage 
maybe not in this parliament, maybe, but maybe in the next one, when the Labour Party will be in power, they're going to say X, Y and Z is no longer free, it's not free, is no longer available on the NHS, you'll have to pay for it. Speaking about this today to, to LBC Radio was a doctor called Dr. Snae Kempka. Here he is with Nick Ferrari. The thing here, Nick, is that what we're facing into is really quite a turning point in the NHS. And the conversation that needs to happen is can the NHS afford to give the same level of care that it always has? And my hypothesis here is that actually the NHS is going to be um, sufficient to supply accident and emergency and inpatient and surgical care. But actually, when it comes to outpatient, including GPs, but physiotherapy, access to mental health, dentistry, optical, these sorts of things, I think we're going to have to face into the situation that we may well have to pay out of pocket for these things. Many of our European counterparts do exactly the same. They have national insurance which covers inpatient, but then supplementary insurance for which you or your employer contributes um, and helps to pay uh, for those other things. so, So my elderly listener now who needs a new knee... Is he, she going to have to pay for that? What, what, where would a new knee stand? No, so a new knee really should be covered by the national state system. So um, what wouldn't uh, be covered then? So I'm talking about when people need to access perhaps a GP, when they need to access outpatient med- mental health facilities, when they need to go to a physiotherapist, when they need to go to a dentist. We've seen what's happened to dentistry in this country. It's um, almost impossible to get NHS dentistry. And it, you may remember back in the 1970s, you could get your NHS spectacles. <laughs> I don't think anybody born today would get NHS specs, and that's gone entirely private. Yes, the old specs on the NHS. Yes, indeed. Dr. Snake Hemke, they're talking with Nick Ferrari about the possibility and it's more than a possibility, it's a probability, that people will be asked to pay for certain things like physiotherapy, for example, like mental health services, for example. At the time, by the way, is 22 minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Back with more in a moment. Don't forget, Anjam Chowdhury, soon to talk about the, 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 the Duke of Sussex and his book Spare. Ginger whinging. Ginger whinging was the way to go. I don't know what's going on. And in the second air, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts will be live on the programme. I'm looking forward to hearing from both of my guests. Hi there. It's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yes, and uh, thank you, Craig, for sending me that link to the tweet. I did see this today. I did reach out to the gentleman, whose name is Jason Goddard, I believe. Yes, back in December, in fact, only the week before Christmas, a man called Jason Goddard was sent a letter by the Metropolitan Police of London And the letter concerned a tweet that had been posted by Mr. Goddard where he criticised the pride flag. 
Now, the pride flag is the rainbow flag, which allegedly represents the LGBTQ community. I say allegedly because I not only do I know gay people, but I've interviewed gay people who says that it doesn't represent them, and neither do any of these groups like Stonewall. But anyway, this guy had tweeted out something about the the pride flag being flown at Wembley, some criticism of it anyway, and he was sent a letter by a PC Gordon from the Met Police inviting him to contact the police officer to arrange a voluntary interview to discuss the contents of his tweet. So I am aware of that story, and I was trying to get a hold of this guy, Jason Goddard, to speak to him on the programme, but I didn't manage to reach him before getting on air today. Of course it's sinister in the extreme. Of course it is. The police. But this has happened before a former police officer was visited by his former colleagues. The the, the guy's name escapes me. But we covered the story. Everybody in the, in the independent media covered the story. You remember that a former, a retired police officer had very politely explained to a trans person that he, the retired police officer, would never accept that the trans woman was really a woman. And this was done in as polite a way as could possibly be done. And the retired police officer, God love him, didn't he receive a visit from a constable? from a police constable, who asked him to explain his thinking when he posted the tweet which told the trans woman that, listen, all the very best now, but I don't believe and I never will believe that you are in any way a woman. So this kind of thing is going to be happening more and more. I was told on good authority last year that a number of complaints were made about this programme to Greater Manchester Police. And I was told that, not from a police officer, but from somebody who works for Greater Manchester Police. Now, nobody ever came anywhere near me, which is a good thing. And I never found out exactly which radio shows had been reported. Presumably, it's, you know, something to do with with misgendering and stuff. But I never received any, any knock on the door from the old bill, as it were. But Jason Goddard did, invited to come for an interview voluntarily to explain why he criticised the Pride flag uh, over Wembley Stadium, which, of course, you know, you, you, you are, of course, entitled to disagree with Mr Goddard and, and to say that the Pride flag does have a, have a place at Wembley Stadium if people choose to, uh, to fly the flag there. But um, he has every right to his opinion, right? At least that's how it used to be. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 8th of January. It's the 9th, Richie. There's mistake number one of 2023. There'll be many more. Uh, and it is 2023. It's good to be with you. To be with you good. Here is Nana Cherry. And I, I can't pronounce the name of the guy she's singing with. Because I'm as useless as teats on a bull. Back with Anjam Chowdhury after this seven seconds. Right, and Nina Cherry and seven seconds, then it's exactly half five. Let's get into it. As mentioned earlier on in the programme, uh, the Duke of Sussex has written a book. It's called Spare. It is officially released tomorrow, Tuesday. 
but it's been out now for a few days. It was released in Spain, wasn't it, ahead of the embargo and the Guardian managed to grab a copy of it and have been basically serialising it without permission. Anyway, among the many revelations in this book is a claim by Prince Harry that he was involved in the deaths of 25 members of the Taliban during his time on duty in Afghanistan, Helmand Province and, and elsewhere. To speak about that, to chat with me about that today, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the programme the former solicitor and Islamic scholar Anjam Chowdhury. Anjam, first of all, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing, Richie? I'm hanging in there, mate. Thanks very much. I've, I've had the flu like pretty much everybody else, but, but uh, still, I'm still standing. Anjam, you and I will see eye to eye on the illegality the the tyranny of the incursions in Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and everywhere else. We won't find any arguments there. Um, illegal wars, genocides, Tony Blair should be hanging by his ankles in the Tower of London. At least he would be if I had my way anyhow. But soldiers do what they're told and in conflicts people get killed and that's just the size of it. Why has this announcement by this guy, uh, the Duke of Sussex, why has it annoyed you so much? Well, I think there's um, uh, several uh, angles to this. I mean, I'm happy that you agree with me that uh, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I could add to that even in Syria and in uh, other places in Africa, are completely unnecessary and purely for the uh, selfish, selfish interests of the Americans, the British and others to establish their military, economic and uh, uh, political interests. But... Uh, Prince Harry, you see, is symptomatic, I think, of the British Army and his own family, the royal family, have always had a very special and prominent role. So when someone like him comes out and says that these people are not seen as human beings and he numbers the people who have been killed, when everybody knows that, uh, you know, we had uh, a BBC investigation about what took place in Bagram and, uh, you know, how many people were slaughtered. Uh, you know, in cold blood by independent uh, contractors as well in Afghanistan. I mean, it's been it's been a bloodbath for the last two decades. And, and 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 you know, if you look at the results of that, the Taliban have come out much stronger. So what did they achieve? And I think for him to start saying things like this, I mean, there's no real purpose behind that than for him to try to sell his book and for for him to make himself look like some kind of hero. And I think that needs to be called out. And the reality of what took place, I think is important to, to highlight because it's not isolated. The British troops are still occupied, uh, occupying Muslim countries in places like Mali, in Somalia, in Sudan, in Nigeria. There's, there's still a presence you know, in Iraq and in Syria. And their partners in these areas are the most reprehensible and brutal regimes. You know, everybody knows about the Syrian regime and the Iraqi security forces. These are the type of people they're in bed with in Muslim countries, not the ordinary Muslims. So I think it needs to be called out for these type of reasons. I'm fascinated by this ordinary Muslims idea. You and I have had this out before over the years. I mean, the the, the partners you described there, the, those who get into bed with the British army, they're, they're Muslims, these guys. I mean, what differentiates them from yeah. y- y- ultimately? I, 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 wouldn't, I mean, you, you, you'd understand when I, when I say I don't believe that... Uh, those people who are running Muslim countries at the current time are Muslims, purely because they don't implement the Sharia. They oppress 
the uh, general populace. And uh, I mean, we have to remember one thing as well, though, Richie, that uh, there's no conscription in England. I mean, you know, if there was conscription, then perhaps one would have an argument to say, well, they're only doing their job and, you know, uh, they, don't have no, they don't have any choice. But people do have a choice to join the army and they can, they can conscientiously object. They're not going to be shot, you know, uh, somewhere because they don't go, for example, to Afghanistan. They may be kicked out of the army, but not much more is going to happen to them. So when they go, they're winning the and, you know, and, they, and then they kill people. And then they say that, you know, they don't see them as human beings. I think this is an important, this is an important point to make. You know, he didn't have a, he had a choice. He, and, he, you know, even, even other commentators, I think the head of the British Army, was it Lord West and others, said that, you know, and he went there twice. I think, you know, one, one time was, uh, was what he was required to do, I think. I'm not sure. But I read somewhere that he didn't even have to go again. And he went, again, he went there again. So it was not just a job. And, you know, he didn't have any choice. I'm interested in the... Um, I, it could be argued that the, the comment about human beings has been taken out of context. I, I haven't read the book and it's unlikely. It's very unlikely I'm going to read the book. But I think the point he was trying to make was you can't afford to see people in a conflict zone as human beings. You've got to see them as pieces on a chessboard Otherwise, you can't do the job you're there to do. Well, I don't think that that's, that's true, actually. And I think that we're all, uh, you know, as human beings, we have emotions and feelings. And we, we know when something's wrong. I think innately inside, we know that there is something that's not right here. And, you know, when you have unarmed civilians, which was, you know, invariably the case, I would say thousands of people were killed in Afghanistan you know, over these two decades. And there have been countless uh, reports of this, investigations. And obviously the British always gloss over it as well. There's been a military investigation. Of course, the military are not going to find fault with their own. It's like, you know, it's like lawyers investigating themselves or doctors investigating themselves. It doesn't happen. So I, I don't think that you were going to get anywhere there. But I think what's important is now that the Taliban are saying as well that many of these people who were killed were ordinary civilians. And I think they know best who are, who are the people who they've been burying in Afghanistan. Now they're asking for compensation. I think that's only right as well. Interesting point on that, on, on civilian... We'll come back to civilian deaths in a minute because it doesn't get spoken about often enough. Um, estimates I've read over the years, you know, suggest that a million civilians in Iraq alone have been killed uh, since yeah. 2003. I mean, that's a staggering number. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, a former Royal Irish Regiment soldier speaking to the Times today said that, and I'm paraphrasing what the guy said, he, he said that Harry could basically be full of crap anyway because, you know, they fire missiles and whatnot into areas. You obviously get an explosion and you get a lot of dust. They don't hang around to see what damage they, they may or may not have done. And it's very unlikely that the guy... Um, is even accurate in claiming that he killed 25 people or was involved in the deaths of 25 people. It might be a lot less than that. Yeah, I mean, it could it could well be uh, a, a pure assumption or guesswork on the part of Harry or merely, you know, bravado on his part. But at the end of the day, I think that all of us, you included, need to make the most of these opportunities to stop more conflict and more bloodshed. And that's precisely what I was doing. I mean, I'm sure you read the actual uh, piece that I wrote on my blog. It said nothing about targeting anyone uh, anywhere. It merely said that troops need to come back home. And it's exactly what the British 
uh, military and uh, security experts are saying that there's an increased uh, risk to people's safety in the area. But you see, I mean, the other thing I think that I was going to allude to was that uh, why is it that if there are problems in parts of the world, that you need foreign troops there to sort them out? I mean, this is the, the big thing I think that you would agree with me on, that, you know, you don't need American troops or British troops to go all the way to Iraq or Syria to sort out the problems that, that no, we but have you, in our country. But you know how they sold those illegal invasions to the public. You know that they sold the public on the idea that September the 11th and then here in the UK, the 7th of July 2005, that these outrages were financed, they were funded, they were financed, they were prepared by people like Osama bin Laden, obviously September the 11th, I don't, I don't believe a word of this by the way, but this is how they sold this to people. They said yeah. that lunatic head choppers in the Middle East are plotting attacks on British yeah. soil, killing innocent people. We know who these guys are, you know, uh, we've got to get in there and we've got to go after them. Now that's, I've, I've always had some sympathy for the grunts, for the soldiers, for the young men, mostly young men, that they, you know this, they gather them up in housing estates, the poorest of lads who've not got an awful lot of prospects, they, they, they brainwash them almost into believing this stuff and they send them over. Now, I'm not including, obviously, Prince Harry in, in, in that when I'm saying that, but I've spoken to soldiers, guys who've come back from it and regret it. I've had them on this programme, regret every second of it. And they've said, Richie, after September the 11th, after the 7th of July, after other alleged Muslim attacks on European capital cities and whatnot, you know, we believed it, that there was sleeper cells operating in countries and that they were being financed by the Bin Ladens of this world. So, of course, we were, you know, happy to pick up a, a weapon and, and, and get trained and get sent out there. You can't ignore that, I don't think. That's very important, that propaganda. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there may be an argument, and I'm not making the argument, for those people who believe that uh, Sheikh Osama bin Laden or whoever was behind 9-11, for them to, you know, perhaps go after them, you know, if that's what they believe. But you can't blame a whole nation. And it wasn't the people of Afghanistan, and it wasn't even the regime in Afghanistan who was to blame. I mean, if someone from Britain, for example, did something, I don't know, in Karachi, you, it's not justification for the Pakistani army then to start bombing London. Yeah. And I mean, that's what happened. And, and where's the excuse, for example, for, you know, I mean, you know the cases as well as I do. Baha Musa was beaten to death by British soldiers. And that's well proven in 2003. The SAS killed at least 54 in Helmand, I believe, back in about 2010. And, 10. and the, the, you know, the, the UK-backed Kurdish soldiers did the worst atrocities in Baghouz. So, I mean, there's one thing to say, look, you know, I'm forced to be here. It's my job. But then how do you explain, you know, the beatings and, you know, tying people up and hanging them, you know, and then beating them to death? And then, you know, and other people just like, I don't know, falsifying some kind of video clips that, you know, that, that, that they suddenly find them, their way into the hands of the media. So, I mean, you know, these things are well documented. There's one thing to say that these guys have been over there and, you know, they're peacekeepers uh, or they're there to, you know, provide security and, you know, at the... Uh, at the uh, request of some of these regimes. But there's quite another when you see these kind of atrocities being committed. And I think what Prince Harry said, I think, feeds into this mentality, oh, they're not really human beings. It, it doesn't matter if we beat them or it doesn't matter if we torture them. But that's the kind of message that's being sent. And I think that's why the Taliban came back with, well, now they are actually human beings. 
and they have families, and in fact they're innocent. You know, why, did, why, are they, why are they coming back with that retort if not for the repercussions of these type of mentalities? That, yeah, they, that people have? they sold the British public and the US public and pretty much the world at the time on the idea that people like bin Laden were being harboured and were being, being given safe haven in these countries. And this was the reason why we had to go in, because we couldn't allow that. This was the George Bush mantra, of course, and the Tony Blair mantra. It's utter nonsense. But again, they convinced a lot of people uh, that this was true. I mean, I don't believe for a minute that Osama bin Laden had anything to do with September 11th. In fact, as yeah. far as I understand it, the gentleman had died, hadn't he? He'd, hadn't he died sometime before September the 11th? I shouldn't call him a gentleman. I don't know if he was a gentleman or not. But his health was pretty, was, was in a pretty I dire... Don't, I, I don't know if that's true, actually, uh, Richie. I mean, I, I don't readily subscribe to the conspiracy theories uh, around these things. I mean, as far as I'm aware, he was still alive then. And I think that, yeah, I mean, he probably planned it with others and there were wills available of the 19 people who hijacked the planes and threw them into the building. Why, why does a guy like you use a term like conspiracy theory, which was invented by the CIA to basically shut down any legitimate questions about anything? I mean, <laughs> l l l let's get into this for a minute. Some of these so-called hijackers showed up alive and well months after September the 11th. I could name I'm not, them. I'm not familiar with that, actually, Richard. But you should be, as, as an Islamic scholar, and we're talking about these things, are very important. You, you, you know that they, they told us that Muhammad Atta was involved in it because they found his pristine passport in the rubble uh, on September the 12th, the day after. I mean, there's a million things wrong with the story. I don't know who did it, to be honest. I have no idea who did it or how it happened. But I don't believe that, you know, a radical Islamist was, 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 was orchestrating this from, the, from, from a cave in the Tora Bora Hills. It's just nonsense to me. It, to me, yeah. it, it, it is all the hallmarks of a US intelligence agency kind of false yeah. flag operation to justify... Um, yeah. what, what we saw in Iraq. I mean, you must be open to that possibility. The thing is, I mean, I don't blame you, actually, for thinking that because of the rotten legacy that the American establishment and their own army has around the world. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I remember reading somewhere that you can hardly name a conflict in the world behind which you don't have some kind of uh, semblance of British colonialism or American foreign policy somewhere you know, at its kind of uh, inset. So I think that at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't surprise me that people find these uh, uh, you know, theories or they look for these to say, well, yeah, they're probably to blame. But I think, you know, we don't need to go down that road anyway. I mean, there are enough things open in the public where people don't have to dig too deep, like the dodgy dossier of Tony Blair and the fact that they were going to be hit within 45 minutes, I think, by, by some kind of chemical weapons, which, who, you know, which, who, uh, which fact everybody, I think, knows and they accept. So I think you're right that uh, Tony Blair is a war criminal, and I think Bush uh, as well, and, and many of these regimes. You know, I mean, I, I think more than anyone else wants to see the removal of the Iraqi and the Kurdish and even the, the Somalian and Sudanese and, and, and you know, Nigerian regimes. I think these are the most corrupt and barbaric regimes in the world, more so even than the British and, and others. But at the end of the day, they're our own tyrants. They're our, our own... Uh, you know, oppressive regimes, we can remove them ourselves. We don't need people to come and bomb us and to say we're helping you. This is, this is, the, this is the argument I'm trying to make here, that they don't need to be there. There's no, there's no need for forces, British or American, to cause instability and insecurity in the Muslim world. We've seen enough uh, carnage and mayhem already caused in Iraq and, and Syria. It's no better 
after 2003. It's genocide, isn't it? Afghanistan. I mean, it's genocide. And you mentioned Blair, um, who is coming to prominence again in British mainstream politics. Um, Blair is all for introducing mandatory vaccine passports and mandating vaccines and all sorts of things he knows nothing about. But we'll leave that alone. But a million in Iraq, at least... I mean, that's, that's a genocide. I mean, those people are never in this life anyway, in my opinion. And I say this with a fairly heavy heart. Their families are never going to see any justice, are they? Yeah, no, absolutely correct. And uh, I mean, this is the reality, I think, of wars which are completely unjustified. And as we know, foreign policy is about establishing interests and maintaining them. And primarily, they are economic and uh, you need to establish those economic interests with the military. That's why you don't find, you know, the American or the British regimes, for example, helping uh, the Uyghur Muslims, for example, in China, or the, 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 the Rohingya Muslims now uh, who have been tapped out of Burma, because there's no interest there economically or militarily. You know, but there are, there's a lot of oil and a lot of resources in the Middle East. So, I mean, I think that tells you everything that you need to know about capitalism and, uh, and its, uh, its tenets. And, you know, it's called capitalism for good reason, because it's mainly about the economy and, uh, and gaining resources and wealth. I want to ask you this before we, we um, part company today. It's on a completely unrelated matter, but you're a, you're a bright guy. You won't mind me, me putting this to you. Journalists like myself are beyond concerned. Concern doesn't even cover it. Uh, the lurch towards totalitarianism in this country in terms of the removal of people's civil liberties. Uh, began during the COVID lockdowns of 2020. And now it's moving into areas around, you know, protecting the planet from climate change. We're seeing um, a real kind of a descendance into kind of dystopia. Are, are you, in terms of the removal of people's civil liberties because of a perceived threat, whether it's the threat from climate change or the threat from viruses like, like COVID-19, is that something that you and your colleagues and your friends are interested in because I'll be asked this question, you know, because I have you on. People will say to me, Richie, Anja might be very bright and he might be very correct about what's gone on in the Middle East and all of that. But there is an agenda against humanity. There is a real lurch towards um, horribly oppressive ways of of living and, and governing people in the name of protecting us from what some would say are invisible uh, threats. D- d- are these the sort of things you have discussions with with colleagues and friends? Yeah. Well, I think um, it is an important point of discussion, I think, for everybody. And I think, you know, I think what it, what it does, it's, uh, it, it hinges on what we actually believe. Because if we really believe in freedom of expression and liberty and, you know, human rights and uh, all of the things which people espouse and which the government is supposed to be protecting and for which, you know, the Americans have got all of these amendments, then, you know, we need to hold firm to them in all circumstances. But I think what we find is that they're all too readily sacrificed for various reasons, like you say, you know, because of COVID and invariably because of so-called terrorist threats. You know, in this country especially, I mean, I've been... Uh, commentating and being involved in uh, propagating Islam openly for about 30 years. And and the landscape, the political landscape has shifted so dramatically over those 30 years. So many of the liberties and freedoms that people enjoy in this country are run roughshod over. And the latest, you know, uh, amendments 
for example, about uh, demonstrations that Suala Brahman and others are bringing in, I think will just lead to uh, a police state. I mean, if we don't already have a police state, you know, the, the, in, in October, there were a number of amendments to the Terrorism Act. I mean, Tony Blair, I think, made about 2,000 amendments in his own time. But, you know, every, every month or every other week, there are more amendments where more of the freedoms and liberties of, these, of people in this country are eroded. You know, for many people who are not aware now, you know, if you support a regime uh, or, or rather you support people against a corrupt regime anywhere around the world, that's classed as terrorist. But on top of that, you could be done now for even being reckless, meaning if you didn't even really mean it. So, I mean, you know, these kind of things, people don't really know that the law has changed in this direction where your liberty could so easily be taken away. And, and you know, it's not, it's not the way that people believe. You know, if they, as I say, if you really believe in, in liberal democracy and freedom, then you should act and you should behave in accordance with what you believe. And that's why I as a Muslim call for the Sharia, because that's what I believe. You should I think always, it's much yeah. more of an honourable position. Yeah, and I've made a point over the years, and you know this personally, of championing the right of of people to speak, people whom I fundamentally disagree with. I'm an agnostic guy, I'm not religious, I don't believe in... in, in, in I said agnostic, but I, I kind of lean towards not believing in God. But I, not to be dramatic about it, will do everything I can in, in, in my small way to make sure that, you know, people who I, I disagree with or of whom I see things differently, that they are never gagged and told they, they can't speak, they shouldn't be banned. 100% right, you're right to say that. Um, it, it, it came across my desk this, um, this, this Monday that a man was, was written to by the police in London. This is true, it isn't, um, I've seen the letter. And he was asked to come and explain himself at the local station because he was critical of a rainbow flag um, flying over Wembley Stadium. Now, it doesn't matter. What, you, you know, I know you, you will have opinions on homosexuality, as Christians will. Uh, of course, th- that doesn't matter. It's just absolutely, listen, we can only say terrifying in the extreme that the police believe that they have the right to ask somebody to come to the station because they don't like a flag. I mean, these are yeah. mad times, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the other problem that you have, that laws in this country are made specifically because of certain incidents that the government want to deal with. But once they're in the hands of the constabulary, then, you know, PC uh, plod when he's going along, he's going to now apply that to everybody. So, you know, uh, and, and the way he applies it is not going to be really, you know, uh, um, uh, is going to be really the way that it was intended, I think, by the legislators in this country. And, uh, you know, and things like the, the laws on these uh, demonstrators now, I think we should mainly because of these, uh, you know, um, what are they called? The ones who are chaining themselves everywhere. Um, Ex- Extinction Rebellion and whatnot. Actually, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're yeah. mainly for the Extinction Rebellion. But you see, they're going to be wheeled, they're going to be now wheeled out, I think, for everybody. Muslims, uh, people who are against vivisection and, uh, you know, abortion, uh, you know, anti-abortionists and everybody. And when police have those kind of powers in their hands, you find that uh, the, the noose gets tighter around everybody's neck. And I think that's the problem. And John, what's just before we part company? Uh, what, what? Uh, give us the address of the blog so people can check it out. I'm on uh, WordPress nowadays. It's uh, uh, the Anjumc uh, dot WordPress dot com. So anjamc.wordpress.com. Just look for Anjam Chowdhury on on Google. You'll you'll find it. Thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate that. Always interesting. 
Thanks, Thank Anjam. Bye for now, Anjam Chowdhury, a former solicitor and a scholar, Islamic scholar, Islamic student scholar. Uh, on Monday's Richie Allen show, talking about the the claims initially in the memoirs of the Duke of Sussex Spare, which are released tomorrow officially, that he was involved in the death or the deaths of twenty five. Taliban members during his time in Afghanistan. The time is exactly five minutes to the top of the hour. Look forward to reading your comments. I'm going to be reading them out right uh, in a couple of minutes' time. Get them to me at richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live at the top of the menu bar. In the meantime, here's a tune to give me a breather. Yeah, it's good to be back with you. It really is genuinely good to be back. I've got some really good guests lined up for you this week as well. And I have an interesting bit of news as well about the future of this programme, which I think you'll find, I think you'll, you'll be happy to hear. This is Go West. Yeah, music from Go West, that said, uh, the King of Wishful Thinking on the Richie Allen Show. It's fast approaching, a minute to six o'clock. Thanks for your uh, messages, your comments. Chris says he thinks it's very likely that the whole distraction exercises like Harry and Meghan, the documentary, the book, Black Lives Matter, transgender issues are masks to hide the fact that all of these new laws and emergency powers are being clandestinely introduced on the sly so they can be introduced at some point in the near future. William says, William Gale, I doubt very much that Harry and his uncle Prince Andrew came anywhere near a a live bullet in the theatre of war that they were in, but it's a great excuse as to why you don't sweat, says William. Yes, that's right. And it has been reported a couple of times in the press the last couple of days that speaking of Prince Andrew and Virginia Roberts Dufray or Virginia Dufray Roberts, I can't remember, but he paid her $12 million, didn't he, in an out-of-court settlement. And in return for the $12 million, she had to agree to keep stum, to keep silent for a year. And that year has now expired. I don't understand this. I don't get it. What sort of legal representation do you have when you pay for, you pay 12 million, or, or your family pays 12 million, and you only get her silence for a year. Do you understand that? I can't, for the life of me, understand it. Will Virginia Dufresne, or Virginia Roberts Dufresne, will she come out now and speak openly about Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein? I'm not so sure she will, but we'll find out. Chris Morell says, how about the situation in Brazil? It looks like they've engineered another January the 6th incident against the former president, Bolsonaro, uh, the apparent rightful winner of the general election. But how do you know, Chris? And I'm not having a go at you. How does anybody know who won the Brazilian general election? And does it even matter? And this is a lazy play by whoever or whatever is running this whole lunatic asylum, isn't it? That they've basically enacted in Brazil the same scenario that we, we, we saw in January of last year in, in, in uh, D.C. It's a strange one, really. I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, Chris. Alice says, Islamic scholar really doesn't seem to know even the basics of 9-11. 
which kicked off the whole staged anti-Islamic bullshit, says Alice. Little is as it seems, or as we have been told. Well, you heard me say it to him. It's preposterous that Osama bin Laden orchestrated four planes slamming into buildings and into the Pentagon on September the 11th. We, we know the story has more holes in it than, than a Swiss cheese. Yes, but there are still very many people who believe that, you see. Many people who believe it. Al says he lost me and Jam, thinking Bin Laden carried out 9-11, and he sticks to the story of the 19 hijackers. Is he a security services asset by any chance? I have asked Anjam Chowdhury on several occasions on the radio, asked him straight out, have you worked for MI5? Have you worked for MI6? Have you worked for the CIA? Have you worked for Mossad? Have you worked for the French intelligence agencies? And he says, no, I haven't. There you are. Faisal says, Alaska University proved that Building 7 was brought down by explosives. There is no excuse now for believing it was Bin Laden. Again, I would agree with that. I would agree with it. I remember that particular paper as published by Alaska University. I do indeed. But, um, yeah, we've um, we've interviewed Richard Gage. We've had architects and engineers for 9-11 Truce on the programme. We've had pilots for 9-11 Truce on this programme going back many years. I could name the pilots if I was to dig out the diaries. Real pilots... You know, genuine ones who flew 737s and who flew jumbo jets. And they said, no, no, the flight plan, as allegedly executed by Hani Hanjwar, the man who was supposed, who, who supposedly flew an American Airlines plane into the Pentagon, the flight plan couldn't be re- reproduced by skillful pilots in simulators. It's a nonsense. Of course it's nonsense. You and I know that. It doesn't mean he doesn't know that, by the way, you know? Yes. Wayne says, amazing how more people don't ask why mass COVID testing equals disappearance of the flu for the first time in history. End of mass testing equals dramatic resurgence of the flu. That's right. The health secretary today, Stephen Barclay, said at this time last year, So this time last year would have been January 2022. There were 50 people in hospital in the UK with flu. There are now more than 5,000. Lucy says that she chose not to watch Harry last night on the telly on ITV. I refuse to talk about him or the royal family when friends tried to make it a conversation topic. Thanks, Lucy. I wouldn't watch it myself, of course I wouldn't. But uh, partly because you know that the morning news programmes are going to give you the best of it anyway. Yes, he got a bit testy, did he, with the ITV presenter? A couple of times he got a bit testy when the guy challenged him, interestingly enough. Thanks for your messages, by the way. I really appreciate them. Thomas says the Taliban is controlled by the CIA. That's Thomas's opinion. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Thomas, hi to Dean, who says we need to end this clown world that we're pl- that they're plotting. We need to end it, he says. I'm sick to death of it, of the psychopaths and their satanic BS. How, Dean? How are we going to stop it? It's the $64 million question. I believe I have the answer. 
I believe it's the only answer. It is going to take a huge coming together of people to 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 to, to perform <laughs> the act of civil disobedience. It's going to take an enormous amount of people to basically say no. We we don't comply. We don't go along with it. Civil disobedience on a grand scale in towns and villages and cities. Will we ever get there? I don't know. Isabel asked, Richie, tell me if I'm right. The NIE amount, the national insurance amount deducted from our monthly salary will remain the same and will be asked to pay for any regular treatment on top of it. Is this a joke? That's an excellent question. They're talking about people paying for certain services on the health service in the future. Like physiotherapy, like other forms of therapy, like 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 talk therapy, um, occupational therapy, outpatient stuff. They're saying we might need to charge people for this in the future. Isabel asks a legitimate question. Does that mean that you will pay less national insurance? Of course, the answer is no. Of course not. Look at the council tax bills people pay in this country. In recent years, local authorities or councils have been giving less bang for the buck, but people continue to pay. They continue to pay it every month. 140, 150, 160 pounds a month. And the local authority does less and less in return for the payment. Still can't get over this. Where I live, the your your non-recyclable waste is collected once every three weeks. Your bins, when I grew up, when I was a little boy, your bins were collected every week. Now, admittedly, when I was a little boy, there wasn't any such thing as recycling. Everything went to landfill. That wasn't good. I'd be the first to acknowledge that. That was pretty shocking, really, when you think of it. The things that were buried in the ground, not good, right? But that's how it was. Your bins were collected every week. And we remember around Christmas time, the bin men were given their Christmas box, as it was called. They were given a few bob for their efforts during that year. But um, as time has gone on, particularly in the UK, I know it's pretty much the same in Ireland, your bins now are collected every two weeks. Your, your plastic and your glass wheelie bin is collected every... It's, it's emptied by the local authority every two weeks. And your black bin with non-recyclable materials is collected only every three weeks. And the result of that... Now, admittedly, people are lazy. And some people are just downright disgusting. Like, we have neighbours who live, you know say, like one street away, like two streets away. Some of them are disgusting human beings. They really are. I don't know how they live as they live, you know, with their 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 gardens strewn with rubbish and their bins overflowing. So there is a bit of laziness. I, I accept that. But uh, the result of them not collecting the bins more than once a month is, it's disgusting. Look at the streets around Salford. The streets around, you know, Langworthy Road. Look at the streets off of Langworthy Road. Look at the streets of Ordsel. Look at the streets around Weast 
in Salford. They are disgusting. So they keep charging people. It keeps going up every year. The council tax bill increases by 3 4% every year and they do less and less and the place looks like a bomb site. Salford is disgusting. And I love the place. I love Salford. I, 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 I love the people I meet around Salford. I'm a working class kid from Ballybeg in Waterford City and proud of it. The people I meet around these streets are my people. They're the people I grew up with. But Salford is a kip. It's disgusting. It's utterly filthy. Everywhere you go. Yes, of course, the individual must take some responsibility. Of course, I agree. Stop shouting at me. I mean, we don't allow our garden and our property to be strewn with rubbish and litter. I'll go to the tip or the dump, as we call it, when I need to do that. But, um, yeah, let's bang for the book. So Isabel has gone a long way to answer that question. They will continue to increase national insurance contributions while giving you less for it, and the majority of people will just go along with it because that's what people do. Hi there, it's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, 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 yes. Salfordians, don't be annoyed with me. It's true. It's disgusting. And it isn't just Salford. Listen, it was pretty similar when, when, when we lived in Fallowfield in South Manchester. It was similar there. It really is disgusting the streets around here, to see to, to, to see the state they are in. Litter everywhere. Wheelie bins overturned, full to the brim with stuff. It's disgusting. It really is. And what can you do about it? What would we have done about it? There used to be tidy towns initiatives. Ballybeg was spotlessly clean. You know, Ballybeg in Waterford is a working class local authority housing estate. And I, I grew up there. And um, it had a reputation, like, like council estates sometimes do, because you'll have one or two families. It's never more than two of real scally types, you know, Muppets, criminals, really. But you'll have thousands of other people, and they're working people with good kids, and, you know, they raise their families in, in, in an appropriate way. But Ballybeg had a little bit of a reputation, but the great majority of people, they were the best people in the world. It was never like this. It wasn't filthy. You'd never see that litter on, on the streets of Ballybeg. I grew up in Priory Lawn. And, uh, but Salford is disgusting. I've gotten that off my chest now. I'm kind of glad I have because it really is pissing me off when I walk around this neighbourhood, how filthy it is. What do you do about it? Do you take the initiative and do you print up 500 circulars, 500 leaflets, and do you try to get people to come together to do something about it? 
I don't know. Let's get my next guest on the programme. He is a brilliant man. I, I love speaking. By the way, you can still, and I hope you will, continue to message me through the website richieallen.co.uk uh, between now and the end of the programme. It's Monday's programme, the 9th of January, 2023. I'm your BBG. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts needs very little introduction from me. He is an author. He is an author and he is a journalist. And he is also a former US Assistant Treasury Secretary. It's always a pleasure to welcome him to uh, this programme. This is his first visit in 2023. So let's wish our friend Dr. Paul Craig Roberts a very happy new year. Paul, happy new year to you and welcome back. How are you? Well, thank you very much, Richie. I'm fine and I hope you are. I'm great and I'm all the better because you're here to chat with now. I really mean that. Thanks so much for coming on. There's a bit of a wind gathering behind doctors and scientists who are, you know, calling for the suspension of the COVID vaccines, for the rollout to be suspended. You'll be aware just before Christmas, in fact, just after we last spoke, a British MP called Andrew Bridgen managed to raise the question in the British Parliament about suspending the rollout of the jabs and he was able to point to a litany of evidence that suggests the jabs are doing a lot of harm in in many people. Is this good news? Are are you optimistic that the message is starting to get through to people that we were sold a red herring when they tried to sell us these COVID vaccines? What do you think, Paul? Um, Yes, I think um, the public knows it because they've had so many friends or relatives who who dropped dead or had some serious uh, after effect. So it's dawned on the public. I don't think the medical authorities are prepared to admit it uh, because they still do nothing to help the people who were injured by the vaccine. There's no research being funded uh, to find out why the vaccine does such terrible things to people. And I think the um, the problem is that the official medical authorities and big pharma, which is very powerful politically, at least in the United States, and the media, which uh, hyped the safety and efficiency of the vaccine, they don't want to own up that they were wrong. And so we have a situation where the public knows, but the authorities won't acknowledge. You've written about this on paulcraigroberts.org and you've quoted Professor Michael Chosadovsky or Chosadovsky. He's collated or collected um, a staggering amount of, of, of information, a lot of data on the mysterious deaths of young men and women in sports and of course it's only a, a few days it's only a week uh, ago isn't it that um is it the, the the buffalo bills um football player collapsed after a tackle and there's, there's been a bit of contention about that whether it was the tackle that did it or or the jab but you've been writing about this it's like, it's like an avalanche is kind of happening or the dam has kind of broken and um you know, you know, you just said it yourself there, more and more people are seeing this now clearly, Paul. You've described it as an intentional effort at genocide. Do you believe yes. that? I think that I think uh, I think it is that. 
Initially, I thought it was just uh, a way to maximize a big farmer's profits and a way for governments to uh, seize more control, more arbitrary, unaccountable control. But if you think about it, I mean, from the very beginning, there were very important medical scientists, highly respected uh, doctors, who were warning against the vaccine. They said that the mRNA is not a vaccine and that it had the potential to do all sorts of harm. And they were, they were opposed to it being issued under emergency use authorization, uh, which means it hasn't been tested. And so we had the warnings. And what happened? Uh, there wasn't any debate. They were just censored, suppressed. Uh, we, we, we then had the events occur, people uh, uh, having adverse reactions. They would not, the authorities would not acknowledge that they were adverse reactions. There's, there's, been, there's been so much evidence of fact that is intentionally censored, it makes you wonder why. And so the only real explanation is that it is an effort to reduce the population. We now have on record, uh, there's 17,000 doctors and medical scientists who are demanding accountability for what they say is mass murder. Well, you can't have 17,000 kooky medical no. scientists and doctors. You might have seven, but not 17,000. And they also point to the fact that there were two known cures, ivermectin and HCQ, and yet doctors were prevented from, from, from treating with those so that everyone who died of COVID died from lack of treatment. They weren't allowed to use these substances. Now, doctors who were still in independent practice and therefore couldn't be fired because it was their own business, Many of them, they save thousands of lives with these two, uh, these two uh, drugs, which in many countries in the world are available over the counter. Uh, they cost nothing. We know for a fact. So, so why did they suppress the treatment with known cures? And now they're, they're punishing doctors who use these to save lives. We also know that in most of India, all but one province, and in many parts of Africa, and in Brazil, they used ivermectin as a preventative. It was handed out to the population, and they didn't have a COVID problem. So the authorities knew all of this at the time, and yet they blocked this treatment. They mandated the shot. That is, you were forced to have it 
in order to keep your job so you could pay your mortgage and your car bill and your food and so forth. So why do all this? That's the, the $64 million dollar question, isn't it, Paul? And yes, it is. And the COVID virus wasn't that dangerous. To begin with, yeah. Dangerous to people who had comorbidities who were denied treatment. I remember, sorry Paul, I, I, speaking of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, I remember the bizarre kind of spectre, if you want to put it like that, of mainstream television and radio presenters who, d who didn't, to the best of my knowledge, didn't have medical degrees, laughing at people when they raised the subject of ivermectin and calling it horse medicine and, and, and stuff like that. They really went after this drug that had been used for so long by so many doctors as a very successful antiviral. They were vehemently opposed to any discussion about ivermectin or, or HCQ. I remember that vividly. Yes, that's, that's true. Yeah. So why? Why? Why, do, that's yeah, the, why did... They did so many things that have no explanation other than they wanted to kill people. That's such a hard sell, though, Paul. You know, I, I, I've got to remind my listeners, you are listening to a gentleman who is an author and a journalist. He also served in the Reagan administration as the U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. It, it, the, the, how do you sell that to people? Do, do, do you feel you have to sell it? Do you feel the onus is on us to sell it to people? Because I believe you're right. I don't like believing this to be true, but I believe it is absolutely true. How do you convince somebody that their government is complicit, is involved in a programme to bump people off, to reduce the global population? It's a bloody hard sell, isn't it? Well, I think uh, they're reaching that decision on their own. Um, and there are many, many people who were directly involved who are now seeing that. So there's really no other explanation for it because it's it's too vast, it's too monstrous. There, the vaccine has killed and damaged far more people than COVID. And you see, wherever you look, all of us, this is the first time in history, Richie, that following a vaccination program, you all of a sudden had massive excess deaths across all age groups. Yeah. It's never before happened. We've never before happened all kinds of athletes in their prime dropping dead suddenly, entertainers dropping dead, kids, babies dropping dead. This has never happened. So what is the explanation? There's no other explanation other than the mRNA substance. And we now have many medical scientists who have come to that conclusion. They tell you why it does this to people. It's all explained. We have all of the embalmers in England, in the United States, saying the people who had the vaccine and dropped dead, their, their veins are full of, they're not really blood clots. They're just long strings of fibrous substance that block the blood flow. Well, they're not making this up. You, you can watch them. They, you can watch them pull this stuff out of the veins. So I think it's, uh, 
going to be a situation where the people know one thing, the government and the medical authorities won't admit it. Now, let me tell you the newest development. As of January the 1st of this year, a law has come into effect in California. This is a California state law that doctors who spread misinformation have created a crime. And uh, among the punishments, I think, their license is pulled. Well, now, who gets to decide what is misinformation? Yeah. I mean, this is a complete repeal of the Hippocratic Oath. The doctor can no longer treat outside some protocol, some undefined definition of misinformation. Well, currently we know what it is. It's you can't say anything about the vaccine. Uh, You can't treat with ivermectin and HCQ. We know that that is, but it it can be anything. Big Pharma, in other words, these big pharmaceutical companies have purchased the state legislature and the governor. They've got something passed that is going to let them through their marketing agent, like Fauci was at NIH, through CDC, through WHO, they are going to pronounce what is the correct pharmaceutical treatment for A, B, C, D, and so forth. And so the doctor has to follow that or he is going to lose his right to practice. That's what they've put in place in California. You've written about this on the website, paulcraigroberts.org. It's all there. Gavin Newsom is the governor in California at the moment. This this is abject tyranny, really, isn't it? And can I just say on this, it's really important you brought this up, because the World Health Organization is meeting today until Friday, and it's not being mentioned in the mainstream media. And they're effectively meeting to ratify... Um, let me just bring this up here. This is really important. They're, they're, they're meeting to, to finalise or ratify a 46-page document that um, proposes amendments to the international health regulations. So basically, you t- you've written about this on your website last year um, extensively. The World Health Organization wants authority over governments around the world. It wants to take control of how to respond to medical emergencies and to pandemics. And this is how they're going to do it. So they're amending their own international health regulations. And they want to give themselves the power, basically, to do exactly what you've spoken about in California, to take control uh, completely over um, how to medicate people in the event of pandemics, what people should have, what people shouldn't have. They want to introduce vaccine certificates, test certificates, recovery certificates, all of this to be digital on people's phones as well. And they want to make it illegal misinformation to be illegal and for doctors to be punished for misinformation. So it's happening in California, Paul, but this is what the World Health Organization has planned for the entire world. Yes, that's Right, Paul, Paul's line has gone really bad there, so I'm going to clear it out and get him back. This is very important stuff, this. Um, PaulCraigRoberts.org, former US US Assistant 
as Secretary of the Treasury, paulcraigroberts.org, that's the website. You'll find the articles we're discussing on there. Paul, I'm really sorry about that. The call dropped out there, but you're back. Yeah, well, you see, you have to ask yourself, why are they doing this? Uh, pandemics are extremely rare. You know, we had the the only real serious one was back in, what, uh, 1918. They called the Spanish flu. Yeah. Uh, this pandemic that we've just had is largely uh, a media orchestration. So why are they grabbing all this control? It means they intend to release more viruses, more pathogens, and they want to be sure this time they have complete control so that no one can raise any questions about it. So that's what's going on. I mean, pandemics are rare. So why do they expect there's going to be a whole series of them now, as Bill Gates keeps saying, and Klaus Schwab? Why we, how do they know there's going to be a whole series of them unless they're planning them? You've got no way to know if some new virus comes up. There's no way of knowing that unless that's your intent and you're making them. So when you put that together with this absolute total seizure of power over medicine worldwide that, that who is trying to get, you have to ask yourself, what is the intention? What is this for? It has to be to get rid of people and not have anybody raise a question about what's going on. One of the things that, back in 2020, when they first talked about mRNA jabs for COVID, I interviewed guys like, I can't, I can never pronounce his name properly. It's a Sucharit Bhakti, a German yeah. virologist, really interesting guy. And he, ex yes. he explained to me why he was so concerned. So this was like June, July 2020. He said, I'm very concerned about this technology. And he, he knew a lot about it. And he explained very simply that many, he didn't say everybody, but many people, many of those who would receive the mRNA jabs for COVID, that they would become very unhealthy in the future when they were exposed to seasonal um, respiratory illnesses and viruses. And that's really telling for me today, Paul, because I hear from medical doctors, as you do, and there is a particular doctor who's been in touch with me. I verified the lady is real. Um, she's a GP working in private practice. And at the moment, we're, we're having a pretty, it seems like we're having a pretty bad flu season here in the UK. That's how it seems anyway. I myself was very unwell over the Christmas. I'm generally a pretty healthy guy, but um, I was pretty wretchedly ill. And I, I know a lot of people who have been ill. And this doctor, Paul, this uh, doctor working in private practice, she said to me that she believes that this flu, whatever it is, this seasonal flu, it is having a disproportionately bad effect on people that have had several COVID jabs. She reckons that the outcome is worse for people who have had the COVID jabs. Basically, to put it very simply, for our listeners, if you've had the COVID jabs, you are more likely to be, uh, you know, in, in a pretty bad way if you are exposed to this current uh, uh, flu uh, season. What do you think of that? Does that make sense to you? 
Oh yeah, which, of course. Uh, the the virologists have already proven beyond any doubt that the uh, mr the mRNA vaccines uh, destroy your immunity. They reduce your immunity. It, it's permanent. So um, if you had that shot, you you will never again have as strong of an immune system as you had before the shot. And the more shots you get and the more boosters you take, the weaker your system gets. So the, the um, German uh, doctor you quoted, he pointed that out early. He also said he, he thinks that everybody who had the shot is sooner or later going to die from it because it's a, it's a bioweapon and it's designed to kill. I just read today an account of why some people die quick, some uh, later, some may go on for years. Um, it's a complicated explanation and I'm not an authority uh, to know and I haven't had a chance to send it off to virologists that I know who would evaluate it. But it made a lot of sense. And so, you know, we, we, this thing is, may not be over. We also have all these oncologists, these leading cancer doctors who say that uh, what this jab has done by reducing your immunity, it has unleashed all the blockages your system had against cancer. And he said, all of a sudden, everybody's coming down with cancer. He said they've never seen such an outbreak in new cancers, all kinds of people, but they've all, they're all vaccinated. It's just like the people who are dropping dead. They're vaccinated people, not the unvaccinated. And they've got so, um, mRNA jobs for cancer in development, don't they? Yeah, it, it's, I've forgotten all the details, but, uh, uh, I once could have explained, I mean, you know, a year or two ago, that that these are not vaccines. They are a technology that alters your genome system. Yeah. And, and uh, this type of alteration, whether they knew it or not, I think they did know it, uh, it makes you uh, a, a much more vulnerable person. There's one other thing before we go off. I want to uh, bring out, you know, Pfizer was forced by court order here to release the documents it was keeping secret and was trying to have locked up for 75 years. And what the documents were, it was Pfizer's recording of its own two and a half month test period of the vaccine and the adverse effects. Well, there was 1,200 people died, thousands of others with all kinds of serious problems. And they kept this secret. Only the Food and Drug Administration knew, the regulators, despite knowing this, they approved the Well, now this is 
the line has gone really bad again, Paul. I can barely hear you. You're breaking up there. So what I'm going to do, if you can hear me, I'm just going to clear the call out again and start it again because this is very important. Uh, PaulCraigRoberts.org, the website, the author, the journalist, and the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury uh, for Economic Policy under Ronald Reagan. Paul, I'm sorry about that. You dropped out momentarily. Can you hear me better? Yeah, I can hear you better now because this is really important, this uh, document uh, uh, dump that Pfizer was ordered to release. It's very important. This, Go ahead. Okay, so Pfizer was ordered to release the test results that it had over a two-and-a-half-month period. These test results showed conclusively that the vaccine was deadly. Just among their small tests, 1,200 people died. Thousands were incapacitated permanently. The FDA, the the regulatory authority, knew this and nevertheless approved the release on an emergency basis of the vaccines, which aren't vaccines. Well, this is strictly against the law. You're not allowed to release vaccines that kill that many people in a test. Well, this is now public, but there's no mention of it in the media. The medical authorities aren't doing anything. Nobody is bringing any sort of um, inquiry into uh, the Food and Drug Administration. Why did you release against the rules a deadly uh, substance to be mandated into people? It's just sitting there. I mean, it's a huge scandal. It's like mass murder. And nobody wants to indict the people responsible. But I think you hit the yeah, nail on the no head. Bit, no I, I, it's, yeah. it's not my opinion. It's it's the it's Pfizer's own. It's their documents. own record. And you, yeah. it's got to be. It's got to be something as malevolent as you described. It's got to be, and it's also got to be down to the fact that they are planning on offering, at least initially offering, they'll make it very difficult for people to refuse them further down the line. But they they have mRNA vaccines in development for anything that you can care to, to mention. Obesity, diabetes, various cancers. So they want people to continue to take these mRNA shots um, ad infinitum, forever, forevermore. So they're never going to acknowledge it. They're never going to admit it. They own the media. I mean, some pockets of the media, we, we've got a news channel here in the UK called GB News. It's got a couple of presenters who are at least asking questions about, you know, the the, the, the damage, the, the injuries caused by these jabs and the death. But um, that's just one channel and they'll only go so far. I mean, they're not going to talk about genocide. They're not going to go anywhere near uh, that topic. But I think you're right, Paul. I think it's as obvious to me as... as the, the, the sky is blue. This is a genocidal thing. They know what the jabs are doing. The media knows it. Um, but rather than call a halt to the whole program and start making reparations to the people who have been injured, they are doing everything they can to bury this while continuing to offer these jabs to, to children. As young as six months old, it's, it's... You're right. I think you're right. I should be arguing with you, maybe. But I can't, I can't in good conscience argue with you. It's got to be genocide. 
What else could it be? You see, if it was a mistake, they would say, oh, my God, we've made a terrible mistake. How can we rectify this? Yeah. So, so they're not even claiming it's a mistake. So they don't want it rectified. So it has to be it was the agenda. You know, uh, Richie, think about it in a way. Uh, genocide of the population has become uh, a big moral issue, a big moral thing. It has the moral high ground. Why? Because it's how we save the planet. We kill people. We kill people. And that's how we save the planet. This is what the whole Bill Gates thing is about. They're quite explicit. We can't we can't save the planet unless we reduce the population. This is the position they have. Yeah. This is the position of the World Economic Forum. Bill, Bill Gates is explicit about it. So you see, you have a few people who have got a agenda, and the, the agenda, they're committed to it, and the agenda requires genocide. And it's justified because that's how we save the planet. That's what's going on. Population reduction, yeah. It's at the heart of so much. I mean, even the British royal family openly discussing this over the years. We have a population problem. Um, today, uh, you, you know, they're, they're talking about today about veganism. They're talking about reducing farming. There's a group in this country, it was reported today, they've offered the Prime Minister a million pounds for charity the British Prime Minister, to give to, to his favourite charity if he goes vegan for a month because it's farming and farming animals that is contributing to 17% of the UK's CO2 emissions and we need to stop that. All of these things are being openly discussed and yet the academics, the researchers, um, the writers who oppose this stuff, they are being banned and excluded from the conversation, Paul, right across the board. Right. Well, that, that's just more evidence that they yeah. do intend genocide because if you don't farm, what are people going to have to eat? Yeah. You know, the World Economic Forum says we're going to eat bugs. Crickets. We're going to yeah. be fed bugs. Well, but there won't be anybody here to feed if they're getting rid of us. And if they, you know, look what they did. Well, look what they're doing in Holland. You know, all those Dutch farmers, they, they're stealing their land because it, uh, it causes uh, uh, global warming to farm. New Zealand as well, they're, they're taxing emissions on farms, they're punishing farmers in New Zealand. It's amazing, they're blaming the Russians for a food crisis, which of course you and I both know the Russians are not responsible for that. But while they're talking about a food crisis and complaining about the fact that we, we, we are so dependent on grain from Ukraine. They're preventing farmers from doing their jobs in, in, in this country and elsewhere. They're making it difficult to farm. They're shutting down, as you well know, massive acreage of land and rewilding it all in the name of climate change. No, we mustn't farm this land. We mustn't use it. We must let it grow wild again because we need to save the planet. It's everywhere you look, Paul, and I'm going to give you the final word, is insanity. <laughs> I mean, 2023, is just, 
here's the final question, I suppose. Do you expect just more of the same in 2023 as we saw in 2022? Yes, yes, I do. What I don't understand is it's clear that what you described is going to be the fate of the uh, West, of, of the Western world. How are they going to get Russia and China to starve themselves and not have farming and feed people bugs and go along with reducing the population? I don't, how, how are they going to get Africa uh, and South America to go along with this? Um, it, it looks like this genocide is mainly directed at Western civilization. The, the Chinese aren't going to genocide themselves when they're rising to world power. Uh, the Russians aren't going to do it when they've got vast territories. In, in Africa, they, they didn't have a problem much with COVID because many of the countries were on ivermectin as a preventative against river blindness, and many were on HCQ as a preventative against malaria. So people were taking it. It was called, it's called the Sunday medicine. They were taking it every Sunday. And so they had a very limited COVID problem in countries subject to river blindness and malaria because they were already immune to it from the HCQ and ivermectin. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to get the whole world in on this. Uh, it looks to me like what's being exterminated is going to be Western civilization. That seems to be what we will see more of in, in, in this year. This year could be very dangerous in other ways, and that has to do with the situation in Ukraine. We'll, the next time you're on, we'll talk more about um, Ukraine. We haven't um, left much much time to do that today. It is interesting. To, to, there has been a significant development today, and that is the UK government has announced plans to supply Ukraine with tanks. This is that's a very serious escalation, Paul, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Um, sooner or later, it will force Putin to get serious and get about the business of war. So far, he he has this goody two-shoes role where it's a limited operation just to clear Donbass and not an invasion of Ukraine and so on. But he's finding that it's not limited because Washington won't let it be. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and so it's going to force him uh, sooner rather than later, I think, uh, to have to use the real military force of Russia and stop pretending it's some sort of a minor police action. Uh, when that happens, we have a new uh, threat because the Americans will be so much involved, they can't accept a defeat. And so then we, we are faced with a, a nuclear threat on top of all the pandemics they planned for us and the genocide and everything else. So, and where are the leaders, you see? As far as I can tell, there are no leaders in the West 
Trump tried to be one, but he was going against the establishment and they simply would not permit that. So he was eliminated. And where can a leader arise? They can't because the establishment doesn't want anybody acting for the people. They have their own agenda, they're in control. So elections are meaningless because they can't put in office a leader that the people want. It's a very serious situation. The, The West doesn't exist in the same sense that it did uh, 50 years ago. Paul, we'll leave it there for today, right? I'd I'd like to come back on on some of those points in in the next show because I I do leave room for the possibility that even Vladimir Putin and even Xi Jinping are, are somehow controlled by the architects of the agendas that we talked about. I'm not dogmatic about that. I'm not. I never have been. But um, I'm I'm very open to the possibility that they are, you know, and that the situation in Ukraine definitely suited the agenda, the depopulation agenda, and the agenda to make life so unbearable for people that they would accept the solutions offered by the same tyrants, you know. Like the cost of living crisis in this country is terrible. It's worse than it is in the United States at the moment, as far as I can tell. It's squeezing people. It's absolutely destroying people financially. And so I leave room for the possibility that on some level, even the guys in the East are somehow controlled by by the same puppet masters. Now, I know you don't entirely go along with that, and I totally respect that. But, I mean, I'll give you the final word on that if you'd like to come in on that before we part company. But before I do give you the final word, folks, you've really got to go to paulcraigroberts.org. Paul's a brilliant writer. Um excellent, thought-provoking and really well-researched articles on all of these topics at paulcraigroberts.org and where you can, please do support independent content creators like Paul because they are, um, they're like hen's teeth. We don't have too many people like Paul Craig Roberts. Paul, final uh, word to you and thanks again for coming on today. Well, Richie, um, you, if you're right, then there's no hope. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. If and I'm I'm not saying you're not right. I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to me how those two cultures, being so different from the West, could be affected by the same satanic ideas. But if you're right, there's no there's no hope. I'd love to hear your your take on that, and I, I I'm not prepared to argue it. No, no, you're, you, listen, you might very well be right. I'm, I'm praying that you're right, that there is genuine opposition to it. I just look at these young leader programs at the World Economic Forum, and I know Putin certainly flirted with some of this. It doesn't mean, that doesn't prove my case, it doesn't. But um, I, I, I just wonder. And then I think to myself, maybe I've just gone too far down, the, you know, the, the rabbit hole, that, that there must be some genuine opposition to it out there. Maybe the opposition has to come from ordinary men and women like me and you and our families in our communities and maybe Gandhi maybe maybe civil disobedience maybe Paul is going to have to happen at some stage where we just turn our backs on these people and say we're not going to live the way you want us to live we're going to do you know our own thing we're going to manage our own selves and our own lives and our own communities maybe it's going to have to come to that eventually I don't know 
Well, I think it would have to come to violence. We'd actually have to drag them out and hang them off the tree limbs in the lamppost. That's what that's the only way it would ever be resolved. They would they would have to be genocided. And most of my I think most of my listeners are on your side when it comes to that very point, because when I raise the non-compliance argument, which I make all the time, my listeners come back to me and say exactly as you said there. They've said it won't matter refusing to go along, Richie. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take dragging them out by their ears and exiling yeah. them or, 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 or worse. But Paul, look, it's been um, brilliant, mate, having you back on um, first uh, show of the year. Thanks for doing what you do and for always being there. You never say no. You always come on. I really appreciate that. Well, Richie, it's a pleasure talking to you. I mean, you know, so many of these people in shows are nowhere near as intelligent as you are. So I like to be on your show. Well, they must be bad. But thanks but thanks, <laughs> thanks for saying that. It's paulcraigroberts.org. Read the articles, share them, and support Paul's work if you can. Thanks, Paul. Godspeed to you, and I look forward to next time. Me too. And bye for now. Paul Craig Roberts, folks, the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, speaking to uh, us on Monday's programme. And a lot of comments came in there. I'm sorry I not got much time to read them today. But uh, Vicky says, I suspect Africa didn't have a COVID problem because they were not testing. Simple as, says Vicky. Red Green says mistakes were not made and has sent me a link to an article from Off Guardian. Thanks for that. Angela says, Richie, you need to talk to my friend who is a dairy farmer, a raw dairy and meat farmer who has a lot to say about farming in this madness. Angela, I'll get straight on to the link. Thank you so much for that. Davy says, Richie, why did they mix and match the jabs? If they didn't get you with the clot shot, would they get you with Pfizer or Moderna as their boosters? Thank God I never went near any of them. I remember when they started talking about second and third jabs. And I remember when they said, well, we can mix them. <laughs> and I thought, how utterly ridiculous. Surely this will be... Will be, will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Surely legions of people will laugh out loud at this. Well, you've had the Moderna, yes. Well, you can have the Pfizer now. Or you can have the AstraZeneca, yes. I thought people would see through that, but they didn't. They did not. I don't know what it will take for some people. I just don't know. Some people are obtuse. Obtuse is a great word. Like I, I, I do meet and I do encounter obtuse people. You can't speak to them. Even when you are well-practiced in speaking to people in a way that won't antagonise them. And I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at not, you know, bombarding people with facts. You know, I'm generally pretty submissive. I, I take a kind of a submissive approach in the conversation and I drop in a couple of little nuggets. Like, you know, the yellow card system and like, you know, this, this doctor... The, 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 you know this 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 Malhotra guy or, or or some other doctor, I just throw it in there. Why would they say this stuff? There's nothing in it for them. I don't brow, I don't hammer people with um, arguments, and I don't mind when people tell me I'm full of shit. I don't mind that. I don't get upset by it. I don't worry about it. I say, all right, fair enough. But like, if I was in your situation, I would want to know what these people are saying before submitting myself for a fourth or a fifth or god forbid a sixth covid jab i just like to know what these people are saying and then change the conversation 
But for some people, it's just obtuse. They don't care. Why? Why? When it comes to your well-being and your health, why would you not want to know? I don't get it, so I don't. Thank you so much to Paul Craig Roberts for chatting to us today. I really enjoyed Paul. And to Anjam Chowdhury, who was on the programme in the first hour. Thank you for listening. It's great to be back. We'll do it all again tomorrow, Tuesday at 5 o'clock UK time. Until then, take care of yourselves. Bye for now. There's a man I need Walks up our street